0: Well, good morning. It is great, great, great to be with you here on this Easter Sunday morning. My name is Shane Garrison. I get to serve as the transitional pastor here at Valley Creek. I've been here since January, and this is my first Easter to celebrate with you, my Valley Creek family. And so thank you so much for inviting us to be a part of this wonderful congregation And there is one joy about being a transitional pastor that a lot of other folks don't get to have. If you're just filling in on a Sunday, as many of my colleagues do, or as I have done, you never get to preach on Easter Sunday because pastors never give up (laughs) Easter Sunday. But when you're the interim pastor, you are given Easter Sunday, so you better buckle up. Because I got one for you here, folks, (laughs) and it's going to be a wild ride. So we're so glad you're here. If you have your scripture, your Bibles on your phone or in print, I invite you to turn to the passage that Dana read so beautifully out of Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. You know, in the midst of the pandemic, people from around the world began to experience different lockdowns and shutdowns and even closing up of businesses and schools and even things that we thought would always be consistent and never changing began to change. And there were new descriptions and new labels placed on things when groups possibly would gather together. We had a new invention of the virtual event. I mean, there was all kinds of virtual events. Some of you are still angry about some of these events. Uh, There were virtual concerts where literally a band would perform to a camera and everybody was just supposed to tune in online. There were virtual graduation ceremonies. My nieces graduated high school virtually which meant they came in in 10-minute increments and walked across the stage and got a diploma with just their family in the auditorium, and then they left. Some of you participated in a virtual 5K, which was the biggest scam in the history of the world. (laughs) You walked around your neighborhood for three-point-something miles and then gave some organization $25 to do it. I mean, couldn't I have not figured that one out? In the virtual Valley Creek 5K, we could have raised hundreds of dollars. <laughs> virtual experiences really resulted in an event or a, a, a ceremony and you just watched it online. I know I had to teach my students at Campbellsville University virtually. I recorded myself in my basement on my computer and then hoped they would watch all 12 minutes of me talking. I know what they did. They started the video and then did anything else but listen to my little lecture. I remember the NBA season playing in the bubble. Do you remember? It was a virtual basketball season where they brought all the NBA to the, uh, the sports arenas in Orlando. And they were just playing basketball. And they literally had to pipe in crowd noise because people were unnerved by just hearing the squeaks of their shoes and the whistles of the refs. Eventually, they piped in cheers and chants because we were uncomfortable with the virtual reality. Well, virtual eventually became remote. And goodness, we still live in a remote world. You can join a Bible study remotely. You can join... Work remotely. You can shop remotely and then go through the pickup line for curbside. Who has loved that invention of remote shopping? Can I get an amen? Some click listers out there loving life these days. Shop from your phone. Someone goes through the aisles and you just drive up and you don't even have to lift a bag. You just hit the trunk open and they drop it right in. It's a beautiful thing. But there is no doubt that over time, virtual had its place, remote has its place, but there is certainly a desire to be in person. Amen? There's been a desire to be in a live auditorium with a live audience, with an in-person experience. We have slowly returned to In-person functions, education has turned to in-person learning. You can now go see your favorite team or your favorite band live and in-person. The Kentucky Derby Hallelujah will be ran in-person. Thunder over Louisville will take place in-person. Because virtual was okay. Remote had its place. But there is nothing, nothing like experiencing things live and in person. My brothers and sisters, my dear friends, my Valley Creek family, as we come this morning to celebrate the risen savior, Jesus Christ, it is essential and imperative that I tell you one thing, Jesus Christ is alive and he rose from the dead in person. In person. This truth isn't simply a detail we toss into the Easter story. This isn't an add-on to make us feel good about his death on the cross. The essential truth of the Christian faith is that Jesus is alive. And that he bodily, physically rose in person. And people saw him alive and in person. It is the foundation of the Christian faith. We do not worship a dead man. We worship a living Savior. This morning, with just a few short moments, I want to show you how that happened from the text in Luke chapter 24. As we learned in verse 36, the disciples in that setting were locked away, sealed, and secure. They were locked away, sealed, and secure. The scripture says in verse 36 of Luke 24, and as they, that's the disciples, were talking about these things, these things such as the cross and the finding of an empty tomb that morning and the testimony of the women who had told them they had seen the resurrected Lord, and the testimony of two men who were on a road to Emmaus, but they interact with the risen Jesus and come back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. They're thinking and talking about all these things, and Jesus himself stood among them. He found his way into the room. Now, John's gospel gives us a little bit more detail about the place and the setting. John's gospel says on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. I mean, the doors are locked up. They're sealed in a secret location They're secure because they have this fear of the Jewish people, the Jewish folks who led to Jesus's death. They're on the run. Their lives are in danger. And man, they've had a rough few days. It's not been an easy week. And they saw the Lord crucified on Friday in the most unjust of ways. It's Sunday night, the evening of the first day of the week. They've heard the testimony of the women. They've seen an empty tomb with a stone rolled away. They've heard the men from Emmaus say they've talked to Jesus and even had a meal with Jesus, and their minds are swirling, their heads are all a buzz, they have no clue what this actually means. They're locked up, they're sealed up, they're secure, and then, boom, Jesus shows up. And I've always wondered if it made a sound. Did Jesus' arrival make a sound? In my mind, and forgive me, sometimes it functions like a toddler. I hear Jesus going, and he's there. But maybe that's not cool enough for you. Maybe you prefer a poof and smoke, and Jesus is kind of going, hey, everybody. Some of you older folks, kind of the Star Trekkies, you have a beam me up Scotty. And Jesus kind of vaporizes into the room. In my mind, and I don't have a biblical record to this, I have Peter and Andrew seated on a bench and there's an open spot and they're just kind of talking and then like, bam, Jesus is there. And he's like, hey guys, what's going on? And gives them little elbows. Completely freaks them out. Freaks them out. That's a biblical translation of what I'm about to read. It freaks them out. It, he just shows up. And he says to them, peace. To you. you can imagine they needed some peace. Because it's a moment that they would have never, ever understood. It reminds me of a time when I was about to ride a roller coaster at Disney World called the Rockin' Roller Coaster. Anybody rode that ride in Disney World? You know, it goes zero to 70 in about two seconds. And they strap you in. And they put that bar over your chest and they make you have a seatbelt. And then some teenager who's making eight bucks an hour does their security checks. Oh, you feel so secure from this guy who's been on his phone for a few minutes. And then they say, have a good ride. (laughs) Out you go. And they take a picture of you as you're going out with your face peeled back and your hair all and... The picture I had, apparently my mouth was open because there's saliva just shooting off to the side of my face. (laughs) But boom, Jesus is there. He's in their midst and it. His words are peace be to you. You better believe they needed peace because this week has not been peaceful. It started on Sunday, Palm Sunday a week ago and they went into Jerusalem and the people were waving their palm branches, waving their praise to Jesus and they think, oh man, this is gonna be a great week in Jerusalem and then Jesus goes into the temple every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of that week and he preaches and he teaches and there's some tension, no doubt. There's some conflict with the religious leaders, but they're not seeing anything other than Jesus in all of his glory with crowds around him. But then something begins to change. Oh, they go to that Last Supper, that Thursday evening where they're all together and Jesus starts announcing, one of you are going to betray me. And they don't know who it is. And they start asking among themselves, is it you? Is it me? Eventually, Judas will Escape the room and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and they're just praying. Some of them sleeping, some of them praying. Jesus is broken. His heart is being poured out before God. And then in the middle of the night, soldiers show up and Judas in front of them and they think, oh man, it's time to fight. And so they take out swords, they get ready for a battle. But then Jesus says, put down your swords. And off he goes. And a few of them kind of trail with Jesus, but most of, most of them scatter. It's been a wild week. Eventually, they find their way, those that stick with Jesus, to the house of Caiaphas. And they're kind of watching things unfold. And even Peter at the courtyard among the fire, he just denies even knowing Jesus existed. Eventually, they're going to see Jesus beaten and carrying a beam on his back through the streets of Jerusalem. They're going to go out and at a distance, they're under enormous pressure to stay hidden and to stay covered up. They're going to see him crucified on Golgotha's hill. And then they're going to know they put him in a tomb and a stone was rolled away and soldiers were set to guard it, to prevent it from be, the body from being stolen. And then Saturday, there is nothing that goes on. And then Sunday, they... Send the women, as you would imagine, to treat the body and prepare the body for the burial that was ultimately to take place. And then they hear, oh, there is no body. And so Peter and John, being who they are, they run to the tomb. And man, there's nothing in the tomb. The stones rolled away and the soldiers are gone. And now this later this evening, they heard these guys from Emmaus. And they're telling me that they've seen Jesus and they had a meal with them. Can you imagine? Poof! Jesus shows up. It's been a wild week. You better believe they needed some peace in their life. Because Jesus knows they're scared, they're troubled, and they're full of doubt. He shows up and in verse 37, he says, it says, they were startled and frightened. Startled by Jesus, startled by his presence, startled by the fact that he just shows up and the doors were locked and the room was secure, and no one knew where they were, but Jesus knew. And Jesus then asked them in verse 38 Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? You kind of imagine the disciples wanting to say to Jesus, Well, duh. You know us. You know what's taking place. You know why we're troubled. You know why we're struggling with doubt. You know what's going on in our hearts. Can't you understand how we would be feeling, Jesus? I mean, they're having doubts about who he was. They're having doubts about walking with him for these years. They're having doubts about the meaning of the cross. They're having doubts if this is indeed Jesus himself. They're wondering if possibly this is some sort of psychological, stress-induced vision, hallucination, maybe grief and trauma, maybe some post-traumatic stress syndrome. Because verse 37 tells us that not only were they startled and that they were frightened, they thought they had seen a spirit. Now this is really the most important part of the message. Hang with me. They think... Their eyes are playing tricks on them. They think they are seeing something that's not real. They think it's a spirit that has appeared in this room. I hate to use the word ghost. Because we envision, you know, someone in a sheet with holes cut out for eyes. But that's what they think is happening. That's what they think is occurring, that... They're having some sort of traumatic response to a crazy week. And now they're having something in this moment where they're hearing and talking with someone who is not alive, who is not there in person. They think it's a spirit. But this is where Jesus confronts that doubt He confronts that fear and he shows them that he is alive, he is real and he is with them in person. Look with me if you still have the Bible open to Luke 24 verse 39. This is the the most important thing I could tell you today and it's the words that Jesus has for those disciples as they think they have seen a spirit. They're scared, they're frightened, they're startled. Jesus just showed up And he says this to them, he says, See my hands and see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Now, I think you can find all five senses, all five human senses on full display in what Jesus offers them. He knows they're scared. He knows they're Frightened. He knows that they have doubts and they think they have seen a spirit. And so he is going to provide evidence in the fullest manner for them to know this is not a spirit, but that he is alive and in person and real. Let me try these five senses with you. You know the five senses. He begins with sight, sight, the sense of sight. They are seeing Jesus with their own eyes and he offers them to see his hands. To see his feet. To see him in physical form. Sense number one. Sense number two is the sense of sound. They hear Jesus' voice plainly. He speaks to them. And they know his voice. This is not some, I am God, James Earl Jones, Darth Vader voice. That's as low as my voice will get. No Barry White in this this voice. But they know his voice. They have been with him for three and three and a half years. They've heard him teach. They've heard him preach. They've talked with him. They know his voice. They have seen him. They have heard him. And since number three, he offers them to touch him. to, To put their hands on him. To feel the flesh and bone that he has. He wants them to know that a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone, he is able to be touched. If they so chose, he's able to be hugged, to feel his muscles and his bones, to feel his body. And certainly those are just three of the five senses. Now there's two more. And these take just a little bit more creative work, but go with me, okay? Sense number four is the sense of smell. Now Jesus didn't say, hey guys, come smell me. That would be awkward and strange. It would be like teenage guys in the locker room going, Man, do you smell that? Why do we invite other people to smell awful things? Some of you aren't even attempting to crack a smile, but you know it's true. Thinking that's inappropriate humor on Easter Sunday, and it probably is. Jesus doesn't invite them to smell him. But what is being cooked in the room? Fish. And guess what happens when you broil fish? It smells. Now, if you like the smell of fish, oh, it smells great. But if you don't like the smell of fish, guess what? It stinks. There's a smell in the room. And sense number five, taste. He actually eats the fish in front of them. He eats and has dinner in front of them. The senses are all on fire, sight and sound and touch and smell and taste. Hallucinations don't consume food. Spirits don't invite people to touch them. Visions or stress-induced sightings don't sit down with you, eat some of your dinner, and leave dirty dishes. He's doing every single thing he can to ensure them that he is alive and real and in person. And I'll give you one more. It happens in a group. It's not a single person having a really, really bad day under an enormous amount of stress. There's 10 to 15 people in there having this same experience together. And the scripture tells us that they don't really understand it all, that they disbelieve, but they have joy. They are marveling and in an amazement, but they don't all understand what's happening. They don't know if they should jump for joy or if they should run in fear. Or if they should cry and touch Jesus' hands and feet. Or if they should give him a high five that he's alive. They're all confused. It reminds me of a, a baby. Y'all have had babies. Do you know when they go through every emotion all of a sudden? They're like happy. They cry. They smile. They toot all at once. There's like every frazzle of their body explodes at once. Ah, You know what I'm talking about? Boy, I may not be invited back for another Easter Sunday sermon at Valley Creek. Just trying to make it real, folks. Make it real. They're having all these emotions, all these sensations. They're trying to understand all that's happening. And seriously, the only thing Jesus wants them to know is that he is alive and that he is real And he is in person in their midst. Because we don't worship a dead man. We worship a living Savior. Resurrected. The bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus is essential to the Christian faith. The bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus is essential to the Christian faith. He is not dead. He is alive. He is not a spirit. He is in person. The bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus is essential to the Christian faith. If Jesus is not alive, we are not saved. If Jesus is not alive, we are all still dead in our sins and trespasses. If Jesus is not alive, we have no hope for this earth or no hope for what's next. If Jesus is not alive, friends, our faith is futile and in vain. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. He says if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. Jesus is wanting them to know that he is alive, that he is real, that he is in person, and that they can place their whole faith in him, not as a dead religious leader, but as a risen victorious king. That's what he is proving to them in this evening. And so it leaves us with why and what now? Why and what now? He continues in Luke 24 to open their minds to understand the scriptures. He wants them to understand what all of this means. He tells them that it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He wants them to know this is in fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is in the plan of God for the sacrifice of sin, that this is what God intended from the very beginning and he opened their minds to understand all that the Bible said, the Old Testament said, about him, about the suffering servant, about the Messiah, about the Christ, about God's son who would come and live a perfect, sinless life and yet die on a sinner's cross so that we might be saved and that he would rise again from the dead. He told the men on the road to Emmaus the exact same thing earlier that day in Luke 24 26 he told them was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him that's the why and the what now is simply what's next what's Following this resurrected Messiah, the Christ who is alive, he tells them that now repentance must be preached and the forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in his name. To all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, that they now have a purpose and a mission. They now have something to proclaim and to declare. They have a calling on their lives to tell this good news, the news that Jesus is alive to any and to all peoples. And what are we doing today? What are we doing right now, some 2000 years later here at Valley Creek? We are preaching the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. We are proclaiming that Jesus is alive and glory to his name. We are inviting all people of every tribe and every tongue to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we will continue to do that until he returns. For that is now our mission. That is our hope and purpose. But what does it mean for you? That's what it means for us as a faith family. But what does it mean for you? If I could invite the praise team to come. A Christian author, John Piper, once wrote these words. He writes, the resurrection makes no difference to any of us unless we ask the question, what does it matter to me? What does it matter to you? You could say one of two things. It's an either or, A or B. It is either the resurrection is the central truth that you place your faith and your life and your ultimate hope in, It is the central truth that you believe that Jesus died and rose again and through his death, your sins were atoned for and through his resurrection, you have hope everlasting and through Jesus and Jesus alone, cross resurrection, you can find forgiveness, you can find eternal life. That is the essential truth of your life. That is one of two ways the resurrection can matter to you. The other is that it's just something you've heard about, a story you've been told, something from an old book from an old time past with no meaning, no relevance, no application. It's just something that comes along with hunting Easter eggs. Those are the only two options the essential truth or it matters not. But I would offer to you that it comes down to this. Did Jesus die and stay dead or did Jesus die and raise again? If he is alive and in person, You must make a choice. It must be a decision. If he died and rose again alive and in person, then the resurrection means something else. The resurrection is far more important. That means Jesus was more than a man, more than a teacher, more than even a worker of miracles. If Jesus rose from the dead, he is indeed the son of God. If he is indeed the lamb of God, he can. Take away the sins of the world as he promised. If he did raise from the dead, he is the mediator between a holy God and a sinful humanity, and he is the only means by which men and women can be saved. If Jesus is alive, then the resurrection can't just be something you set aside. You must deal with it and decide upon it. It either happened or it didn't. He's either still dead or he's alive. And it is either the most essential truth you have to hold on to or it's just a story told in an old book. What is it for you? I pray today you have confidence that Jesus is alive and in person and that the resurrection is what you hold on to for the hope of your life. We're gonna sing a song as we close this service. Jesus is our living hope and if you've never proclaimed or confessed or trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior I'm just going to be right here in the front I'd love to chat with you if you feel embarrassed about walking forward after the service I'll just kind of be right over here to the side I'd love to have a conversation to share with you the most important truth in my life If there are those of you here who trust Jesus, who know Jesus, who walk with Jesus, maybe as we sing this song, it won't just be a song you kind of lyric the words or just sing quietly, but you'll let it be the hope, the living hope that you have, the hope that you rest your life upon and you will declare it in praise and in honor and in glory. Let me pray for us. And then whatever God is stirring in your heart, I invite you to respond. Lord, I thank you for this morning, this resurrection morning. And I pray if there be any here today that this resurrection is just a story they've heard, I pray today you would have done something miraculous. You would have shown up in their life, shown up in their heart. Yes, they may have doubts. They may have fears. They may have questions. But they believe with all their heart that Jesus, you are alive. they want to follow you for the rest of their days. For those of us who know you, Jesus, who follow you, who trusted in you at some time past, I pray the moments that now follow, we would sing of a living hope that is untarnished, undeterred, unspoiled, that is held for us forever as a hope for our lives. And we give you glory and praise your name in it. Spirit of God, you move now as we respond in the way that is appropriate. In Jesus' name, amen.